We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Aloha and welcome to the Layman's Lounge podcast, a ministry of the laymanslounge.com, where we exist to bring everyday theology to encourage Christians for everyday life. And all the other line is Dr. Craig Keener. Aloha, Dr. Keener. Aloha. Great to be with you. Dr. Keener is professor of New Testament at Asbury Theological Seminary. He's a, as you probably know, he's a prolific writer at both like the academic and popular level. And I think he has over like 30 books. So we just, I just want to highlight a few of them here. One is um, his four, his four volume commentary on Acts from Baker Academic. (laughs) The NIV application commentary on Revelation. Uh, the Historical Jesus of the Gospels, um, a very con- compelling two-volume set called Miracles, the Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. And then the book that we're going to be discussing today that is just now out in a second edition, um, it's called Gift and Giver, the Holy Spirit for Today. That's Baker Academic, and I think it was just re-released in November. Um, but again, Gift and Giver, the Holy Spirit for Today. And by the way, the good people at Baker Academic are allowing us to offer two of those uh, to some of our listeners. So if you want to be entered, um, follow the podcast on whatever you're listening and then um, subscribe and share it on our social media. And we'll choose one of you guys in a week. So uh, for our listeners and Dr. Keener, what we're going to try to do is sort of do this interview in um, the first part, two different parts. The first part, like have the gifts ceased or are they continuing? And so many of the questions we'll be, uh, we'll be bringing to Dr. Keener are gleaned from Facebook, where we asked cessationists, basically, what questions they might have for Dr. Keener. So um, that's, that's that. And then the second part is, uh, how do we actually operate in the gifts? So that is, we all believe the gifts are still happening, but how do we actually operate in them? How can we move from like um, theological adherence to like practicing these things? And for me in my life, this has been really really difficult so i'm for selfish motives i'm really excited about that part okay uh first question dr keener this was this was a great one from a saint uh, who wrote in and it's provocative and compelling and i thought it would be a good one to sort of open this and that is why and you're a perfect person to ask this because you are a you know a scholar of scholars right why are there so few great Bible scholars in charismatic circles? Not charismatics, but in charismatic circles who are Bible scholars, right? So there's yourself, Gordon Fee, Sam Storms, Amos Young, and a few others. I can't think of a whole lot. You probably can, but, but you all feel like, kind. but you guys that I just mentioned, sort of a rare exception. So when you're in the bookstore looking at the Christian book section, the books written by charismatics are well, they're generally not scholarly and certainly not deep in terms of biblical exegesis or in terms of theology. So when all is said and done, I think it's safe to say that no one who hears the word like charismatic thinks, oh yes, this will be great biblical scholarship or theology. So I just wanted to ask, uh, that was a great question. I wonder if you had ever thought about that or where you land. Yeah, I have another book called spirit hermeneutics and we actually have uh, 
I think I have like five pages of um, list of charismatic scholars in there. Um, and and those, those were not including the ones who teach at Pentecostal or charismatic institutions. So there are actually quite a number of us, but yeah, you won't find most of our books in the bookstore. Actually in most, most bookstores, you won't find my books either. <laughs> Certainly not my four volume acts commentary. Because <laughs> like, you know, bookstores need to be able to sell books and most people won't buy a four volume acts commentary. Um, Which real quick, I, that's the great, that's the biggest commentary ever written on acts, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I heard it's that in church history, in the last 2000 years, no one's ever written a commentary that large on the book of Acts. Way to go, Keener. <laughs> <laughs> well, no wonder, no wonder the bookstores don't carry it. Anyway. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, but I mean, you're right. Um, if you have a specifically charismatic section in the bookstore, it's probably catering to a popular charismatic market. Um, whereas I think, say, if you have what, what's uh, termed the evangelical market, although most of us who are charismatic are also evangelical. Mm. If, if you have um, that market, I think there's more pastors there who have been trained in seminaries and are very, uh, very interested in exegesis and so on. And, and I'm, yeah, different, different circles have developed in different ways. In the US, one of the big divides actually during the, the 1800s, you had the um, East Coast educated elite, and then you had the frontier evangelists who usually didn't have as much, frontiers like Ohio, <laughs> Western Pennsylvania, right. Western New York, you know, Kentucky, so on. But um, they were, they, they didn't have as much education, but they were evangelizing really, really fast. Well, obviously we need both kinds of gifts mm. um, and, and the way things have developed, certain gifts have come to be more emphasized in certain circles than others. And mm. part of my commitment is to try to bring word and spirit together. And that's a, that's a vision that a lot of us have. Um, I mean, and, and this, this would include reformed charismatic scholars, uh, reformed charismatic pastors, R.T. Kendall, um, and other, other continuationist scholars, D.A. Carson, um, John Piper, and so on. Mm -hmm. And and those of us who aren't, yeah, those of us who are, well, actually, I'm, I'm even, um, <laughs> I'm actually ordained as a Baptist. So, I mean, we, <laughs> we're all over the place in, in terms of, um, you know, where we, where we were ordained or, or what kind of circles we're in, but um, but, but I mean, the Bible teaches us if, if we want to be open to what the Bible says, then we need to be open to what it says about the work of the spirit too. And yeah. certainly it teaches that from Pentecost forward, we're in the age of the spirit. And so we ought to embrace that and live like that. Dr. Keener, um, in my context, I've always been in the situation where I have to choose between word or spirit. The church is either correctly focused on the word and doesn't seem to really know what to do with the whole gifts thing. And then there's people who are super focused on the gifts and don't seem 
to articulate the gospel very well or a lot of really beautiful doctrines. What one, if you have to choose, I've, I've always chose the church that is more focused on the word. And I just sit there and wish that the spirit was mm. uh, free to do like Paul talks about in Corinthians where prophets actually give words. And I, I want that so bad because I feel like the body functions. That's how the body's supposed to function. All the parts are moving. So what do you do when you're, it's a dichotomy or, you know, you have to choose yeah. between the word or spirit. Yeah, and that's a that's a common dichotomy. And if uh, hap happily where we are now, we have um, a church that is is both. But yeah, I've I've often faced that. And even even when I was an undergraduate uh, in a Christian institution, I faced this with certain friends who gravitated more one way, certain friends who gravitated more the other way. And it's all right. I mean. We, we're one body with different gifts. It's it's fine that we have different emphases, but you know they're supposed to. <laughs> the body is supposed to work together, not like here's half a body over here and half a body over here. That's never a healthy body. Um, or you know, <laughs> certain churches amputate certain gifts. That's not a healthy body. And then other churches just collect all the amputated members, and that's not a healthy body either. <laughs> <laughs> we need to uh, we need to bring together the whole. I mean, if you have a church that teaches the whole Bible. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about the experience of the spirit, not just the gifts, of course, the fruit and so on. But, um, you know, the, how can we be teaching the word consistently and not teach that? But then, yeah, you're right. There are other churches where they just harp on certain things. And because they don't ground it in scripture, you know, the Spirit has a lot to teach us, but the Christians in Corinth, when Paul writes 1 Corinthians, most of these Christians were probably like two or three years old in the Lord, and they were, they were immature. But if we insist on getting everything for ourselves and not looking back to what's been done before, at the very best, every generation we're going to meet, repeat the same mistakes as before. In in Jeremiah's day, there were a lot of people who were prophesying, but they were all wrong, except mm. for Jeremiah. And, you know, a generation later, you have three books of the Bible that, that declare, and when the word of the Lord was fulfilled, according to the prophet Jeremiah. So generations afterwards, they knew, okay, that's the, that's the book. If these other prophets wrote books, they don't go in the Bible. This one goes in the Bible. What we have you know, the Bible says to test prophecy, but what we have in scripture is already tested. It's already passed the test. Mm -hmm. And so we can stand on that. If, if we move in the contours of scripture, in our own personal hearing of God's voice, our own personal experience of the spirit, we're going to stay on the right path. If we don't, we'll just keep repeating the same mistakes over and over. Yeah, yeah. Um, who, do, this is a, a little shift, but it's, again, it's another one of those Facebook questions. Most of these are from one brother named John. Thanks, John. Who do you think makes the best case for cessationism? So if we wanted to study both sides of the issues, who should we read on the cessationist side and who, in addition to you, should we read on the continuationist side? Uh, 
I know Tom, I haven't read Tom's yet, but I know Tom Schreiner did something from the cessationist side. Mm. Um, the, uh, there's one that I cite, uh, also a friend from years ago, but I, the name is, is slipping my mind at the moment. Mm. On the continuationist side, D.A. Carson is, is really solid. Mm. Is really good. well, and actually, there's a bunch of Sam Storms, of course. Um, there's a bunch of, of recent ones, mm. um, and of course, you have the ones in the popular level. But the the less academic and nuanced, the more chance for um, uh, getting getting carried away and overstating things. Right. Right. Joe, you're up, bro. Hey, I was snoozing. Um, <laughs> only because you just mentioned the prophet Jeremiah. This question we kind of were maybe going to ask down in, you know, 20 minutes or so, but it seems fitting now. And I think it's a big problem for a lot of people trying to think this through. But is there a difference between Old Testament prophets and the gift of prophecy? Because that's such a hang up for so many people I talk to. They just say, okay, so is if someone gives me a prophetic word, is it equivalent with scripture? If, it, if they're wrong, do we stone them? Like, what's the difference between the roles of a New Testament prophet or the gift of prophecy and the role that Jeremiah filled? There's actually uh, several, several questions wrapped up in that. Um, probably a majority of, of charismatic scholars have followed Wayne Grudem on this, also my friend, but Wayne, Wayne uh, has argued for a difference between Old and New Testament prophecy. I'm not as convinced about that, but I would definitely agree, I, th I think almost all of us agree, that somebody's prophecy is not equivalent to scripture. Mm. But I don't think that everybody who prophesied before Jesus came was their prophecy equivalent to scripture either. That's, that's where I would I would. Uh, Think differently. It's not because they came before Jesus that their prophecy was elevated to a certain level. It's because certain of those prophecies passed the test, <laughs> that were the tests uh, of time, and you know be became became part of the canon that we we recognize them as the measuring stick for all other things. Um, you do have in in. In Corinth, like we mentioned before, you know, immature Christians, you have uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three prophesy, and then before you go on, let the others judge. Uh, also, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says that uh, we're supposed to judge prophecy. Um, it says, you know, don't, dis don't despise prophecy, which actually also says in 1 Corinthians 14, I mean, talk about direct commands of scripture. I mean, yeah. He's pretty clear that we're supposed to seek the gift of prophecy. Yeah. Uh, maybe not every individual will have it, but you know, it's the, the body of Christ as a whole needs that. But in the Old Testament, uh, it wasn't as uh, the gift wasn't as pervasive. You know, it's like Joel says in the last. Well, actually, Joel says afterwards, God says, "I'll pour out my Spirit in all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and and you know, young men will dream dreams, old men will." Uh, See visions. I actually left those backwards. Sorry, uh, I'm an old man. But in, in Acts, 
that's a, that's applied to the current era. You know, yeah. your your sons and daughters are prophesying the last days. Obviously, if if it's different time now than it was when Peter said that, it's laster rather than earlier. Mm. So, in, in the case of um, the Old Testament, though, you often had you you had some people like Samuel, where none of his words fell to the ground. But Samuel mentored a new generation of prophets. So you actually see him kind of um, presiding over, over a number of people for Samuel 19, where they're, they're, maybe they're all prophesying together, you know, but he's, he's there to offer correction and guidance mm -hmm. and so on. So I think, I think um, it doesn't mean that people were incapable of getting it wrong. Um, Nathan says something to David, you know, oh, the Lord's with you, do all that's in your heart, and then has to uh, come back <laughs> next day and say, oops, the Lord showed me, actually, you're not supposed to do this. <laughs> um, but, and of course, you have uh, false prophets in the Old Testament, uh, which is another category. You also have false prophets in the New Testament. Hmm. And I think even cessationists would agree we still have at least false prophets today. <laughs> Pretty common. Anyway, um, but the part about uh, putting them to death. Now, what I see in both passages that, that seem to relate to that, I think it's Deuteronomy 13 and 18. Both of those passages speak of prophesying presumptuously. And the Hebrew word that's translated, often translated presumptuously, means rebelliously it's it's urging rebellion against the lord uh, in the oh, context wow. of deuteronomy 13 it's going after other gods and things like that so wow. this is not somebody who makes a little mistake um you know who who says i think the lord is saying but oops, oops i got it wrong uh, but it does remind us that this is serious business and we really need to be careful um if we're going to say the lord says we better be absolutely, absolutely sure. Now, some people say, if you get it wrong and you say the Lord says you should be executed, if that were true, probably most pastors would have to be executed because when we say the Bible says, we're saying the Lord says. Wow. But anyway, uh, I, I, yeah. We, Dr. Keener, you just dropped the hammer right there. First <laughs> Corinthians 13, 9, we know in part and we prophesy in part. Whoa. I think that applies both to you know, the gift of prophecy, but also the gift of teaching. You know, we, oh. we have to have some epistemic humility and and be open to correction. This clarity you're bringing is next level. Um, so I, I had a two-part question for you. The first part is, you just blew my mind when you were talking about like, of, of you know, these false prophets being put to death, like sort of change sort of the categories. I'm not sure, can you direct, I'm not sure off, offhand you know where you might be able to direct us somewhere to, to read a little bit more into that. And if you can let us know, if not, that's fine. But here's the other, the other question. Um, this is one, another question from the Facebook and it sort of overlaps here. Um, and you kind of hit on it, but if prophecy is an ongoing gift, is, is, if prophecy is an ongoing gift, is prophecy, prophecy today like the prophecy in the Bible inspired, namely inspired and therefore infallible? 
should it be or could it be added to scripture? So what if a prophet said not what if a prophet said not only that the spirit inspired the message he's giving, this is a good point he makes, but that the spirit wanted it added to the Bible. How would we even evaluate that claim? Good question, John. Thank you. I I would say we can evaluate that one pretty quick from the Bible and say that person is probably a false prophet. But anyway, uh, uh, oh boy. See, now I forgot your first question. Oh, well, the, the first one was about it, the false prophets. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jeremiah 23 has a big section in that, Ezekiel 13, mm. uh, Deuteronomy 13, 1 John chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 2 and 3. Uh, there's a lot of places you can. Okay, you can thank that. you. Uh, Revelation 2, 14 and 20, you know, uh, uh, compromise with the world's sexual morality and uh, yeah, I can't even rattle off my children's name that quick. Well done, Dr. Keener. <laughs> Ah, well, you may have more children than I do. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so now, oh, now while I was doing that, the second one. Oh, no, no, okay. There, there, there are, this is actually one of the key arguments against uh, continuing prophecy is that, well, if you have continuing prophecy, it, you know, it should be on the level of scripture. But again, we, during the time that scripture was being written, we have plenty of prophecies that are not in scripture, that were never added to scripture because scripture and God speaking are not coextensive. I mean, the spirit bears witness with my spirit that I'm God's child. Does that mean it should be inscribed in scripture that the spirit says to Craig Keener regularly <laughs> that he's God's child? Um, so, I mean, in the, in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings 18, you have... Uh, Elijah lamenting, you know, Jezebel has killed the prophets of the Lord. Uh, but when Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah hid a hundred prophets by fifties in a cave. So here we have over a hundred prophets altogether, none of whose prophecies are recorded in scripture. Mm. And, and in the New Testament, I mean, if, if you have, like, like Paul seems to envision in Corinth, maybe two or three people prophesying per week, per house church throughout the Roman Empire. Mm. You know, by the end of the first century, you've probably got somewhere around 700,000 Christian prophecies. Mm. And yet, at least the vast majority of those never appear in scripture. Mm. So why do we view it as competing with scripture? Because in fact, I mean, if something's going to compete with scripture, most, most prophecies, at least most prophecies with which I'm familiar, are things more like, you know, the Lord wants to encourage you about this, uh, in maybe, maybe identifying some sort of brokenness in the person's life, you know, encouraging them, and, you know, often things that are consistent with scripture, um, some, sometimes things that, you know, you wouldn't know from scripture uh, individually, like you know, when I was praying whether I was supposed to come teach at the school I'm at now, <laughs> I, I needed to hear from the Lord. I, mm. I didn't hear right away. My wife did. Uh, thank, thank God for, for mm. her. But, mm. um, but you know, the, the Spirit can guide us and things like that. Mm. But, or, or it can be something confirming a particular message from Scripture to us. But mm. in terms of contradicting Scripture, no. We, we know automatically 
that can't go because it's not consistent. Mm -hmm. But what about teaching? I mean, teaching we actually tend to de deal more with doctrinal issues than, than when you know, a person prophesies. Mm -hmm. And if you're saying the Bible says, you're, you are saying the Lord says. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me like we might risk competing with the Bible in teaching in, in a way that ordinary prophecy isn't, isn't supposed to do. I don't believe that prophecy can give any new doctrinal revelation. I don't believe that. I mean, scripture is, by, by definition, canon is the measuring stick. It's what we use to judge all other claims to revelation. Mm. I think that the, you know, we don't need post-biblical doctrine, but here's the thing. The, the doctrine that prophecy has ceased is itself a post-biblical doctrine mm. and therefore is epistemically self-defeating. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, there's no scripture that says it's going to cease. There's no scripture that leads us to expect it's going to cease. We, mm. you know, we see patterns in scripture that might lead us to expect an ebb and flow, but we don't see, um, I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, prophecy and tongues pass away when knowledge passes away. And if knowledge passes away, how would we know it? Yeah, but I mean, the point in the context <laughs> is, you know, when we see him face to face, we're going to know as we are known, we're not going to even need prophecy because it will be like Jeremiah 31, you know, in its fulfillment says, from the least of them to the greatest of them, every one of them will know the Lord. And so you won't have to say no to the Lord anymore. Would you say, uh, Dr. Keener, First uh, Corinthians 1, 7, and I've read this in every once in a while, I'll be like, I'm going to read this whole commentary. And then the first point they always make is that ancient letters, they mention in the first few verses that, you know, what they're going to be talking about later on. And so I've read that like 20 times in the 20 commentaries I've started to read. But <laughs> I said that in mine. <laughs> yeah. In First Corinthians 1, 7, it it seems to say that Paul believed that they, the gifts would be around until the coming of Christ. It says, uh, for in him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you, this is the part, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Can you, I feel like that is saying that Paul's thankful about the gifts that they're receiving from the spirit. And he's excited that they're going to have those basically until Christ comes. Can you confirm that that's what Paul is saying? I, I know you've written a commentary on first Corinthians. <laughs> uh, I believe that's what Paul's saying. And I, I think, I think you have the same thing in first Corinthians 13 where the gifts are useful. We have them in part. We don't have the fullness until Jesus comes back. But in the meantime, they're, they're useful. They're needed. And just like we have the body of Christ, we need the body of Christ. We need all the members in the body of Christ. There's nothing in any of Paul's letters that distinguishes, okay, here are the natural ones. Here are the supernatural ones. We need yeah. these and not these. I mean, yeah. that's a, that's a post-biblical distinction. Come on. We need the spirit for the gift of teaching. Yeah, that's right. And as a teacher, I really recognize I need that. <laughs> in the in the book, you said um, 
in the book, you said, quote, I believe the position that super supernatural gifts has ceased is one that no Bible reader would hold if not previously taught to do so. It's also a position based on a modern reading of the text shaped by enlightenment culture, end quote. So having said that, for, um, you know, you're, you're a big time historian as, as well as actually did the early church and then even the saints through the ages pre-enlightenment believe and operate in the gifts? They believed in them. Um, a time came, especially in late antiquity, when they started relegating all these to the clergy. Mm. And that misses the point of being, I think, one body. <laughs> uh, but, um, and you also find this in some other parts of the world where they haven't been taught otherwise, and they just read the New Testament. They, you know, they expect the gifts to operate. Mm. Um, now, what happened in the Middle Ages, well, actually, no, it goes back before then. You, you, you have um, some people, like Augustine says at one point in, in his writings, you know, I don't, I don't believe that these things are continuing today, but then he retracts it later. Uh, but he retracts it in a, in a particular way. He says, I never believe these things don't happen at all. I just believe they don't happen they didn't happen like they did in apostolic times, which mm. he was referring to mm. the past. And mm. then in Acts, uh, sorry, Acts, City of God 22.8, he talks, of, you know, he, he's, he starts listing some of the miracles that had taken place in his own diocese over the course of two years where, you know, there were blind eyes healed, people raised from the dead and so on. But even, even with Augustine and in his time, people were often associating these with relics of saints. And so, you know, we think that's really strange. God can work through it. In the Bible, we see it in, uh, what is it, 2 Kings 13 or, or maybe 14. It's where uh, they throw in a corpse on top of Elisha and the, <laughs> on top of Elisha's bones and the corpse revives. But, you know, that became a pattern where people were looking to that there were still people being healed and so on without those things, but that became the dominant thing. And so you have a reaction against that in the time of the Reformation, mm. a right reaction mm. uh, against, against that. I mean, I think Luther said, you know, it's, it's strange, you know, that, that 13 of the 12 apostles were buried in Germany and, you know, there are enough nails from the <laughs> cross to shoe every horse in Saxony. <laughs> but, um, but so, so uh, Luther and Calvin and others, they were, and they, they also were reacting against, uh, well, we have some crazy charismatics today. <laughs> they were reacting <laughs> against some of the crazy charismatic Anabaptists mm. in their day. Um, yeah. it's not to say all the Anabaptists were crazy, but the crazy ones, you know, they stand out and they ruin their reputation for everybody. So yeah. uh, Munster is the big, the big thing. Mm. Um, I think Calvin allowed that, that God could still do these extraordinary things on the cutting edge of evangelism, which is actually where we see the most dramatic miracles around yeah. the world today as well. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, they looked at the world around them and they, they didn't see, especially in their own movement, they didn't see a lot of these things happening. Hmm. Um, in the, in the, uh, but they continued to happen in other circles. I mean, Wesley 
believed they happened. And he was especially arguing against enlightenment thinkers who were mm -hmm. against it, uh, David Hume and, and others. And uh, in, the, in the late 1800s, you had this uh, transcontinental, international um, emphasis among many evangelicals on holiness, missions, and, and divine healing, because they said it's in the Bible, and so they, they were looking for it to happen, and, and they were praying for more of an outpouring of the Spirit. And uh, th these were people like A.J. Gordon, for whom uh, Gordon Conwell Seminary and Gordon College are named, uh, people like um, A.B. Simpson, founder of Christian Missionary Alliance, and uh, just a lot of other, uh, uh, Boardman, William Boardman was a Presbyterian. So it was a, a genuinely interdenominational movement. Mm. Uh, but then, you know, there've been, periodically you have people who go way too far, like you had Dowie, when he was, he had a great gift of healing, but he, he was sorely lacking in the gift of teaching. That messed up a lot of things. And so you had uh, a, a big reaction against, against that in the early 1900s. You had um, the Pentecostal movement, which uh, started uh, especially among the poor. Most, most were not well-educated, although they, they did have people from uh, Christian Missionary Alliance who were some of the Bible school teachers and part of it. And there were good things. I mean, they reached, I mean, talk about reaching a lot of people. They reached like, church historians today usually say it's the fastest growing movement in the, you know, in terms of uh, exponentially in the, in the history of Christendom and maybe the fastest growing religious movement ever. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know if it's, if it's still growing at that rate, because mm. again, we're having a reaction because you know, there's some bad stuff that's gone on. There was mm -hmm. some bad stuff that went on in the early period too, and there was a reaction against that. So mm -hmm. if we can bring word and spirit together, it will be really, I think that would make the Holy Spirit happy and it would also fit the word. <laughs> yep. Um, one thing I've encountered talking to people about this is they seem to always want to understand every single part logically perfectly about how all of it functions before they'll go okay i'm now gonna earnestly desire the gift of prophecy and do you don't would you say that people should be seeking this and then learning how it works uh through scripture from reading paul's discussions about it um, do you also see that too, where it seems like people want to understand it completely before they'll give in to being a continuationist? Uh, most of my circles are not, most of the circles in which I move right now um, are evangelical, but are not cessationist. Now, um, but, you know, I was just a president of, of ETS last year. Uh, Evangelical Theological Society and a number of my colleagues, well, some of us are continuationists, some of us are cessationists. So um, we all work together on this stuff we agree on. I mean, cessationists actually believe most of the gifts are for today. You know, I think they're inconsistent to say these yeah. and not those, but you know, we, we agree on most of the gifts. So we've got plenty of common ground to, to work on. Well, real quick, even one of the loophole 
I just heard from a pastor a few months ago. He said, Joe, I believe God's still healing. It's just not the gift of healing talked about in first Corinthians. And I'm just like, can you speak to that? <laughs> yeah, actually, when Augustine said, you know, he, does, he says it just doesn't happen like it did in the apostolic period. Um, he, uh, but, but you listen to what he, he thought was the norm in the apostolic period was everybody got healed and everybody who got baptized came up speaking in tongues. And, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if that was true in the apostolic <laughs> period. So, uh, but, but it is, I mean, it is true in the cutting edge of evangelism where the kingdom is breaking forth. You see mm. these things more and in more, in more dramatic ways. I, I do think that if if we believe that everybody should get healed or that everybody say let's say in the first century everybody should get healed then you guys don't need me i mean we'd have the first century apostles still here leading the church we wouldn't need you know us, us little guys but um but i think all of us are cessationist on first century apostles because <laughs> not the first century anymore i mean those guys are dead so we we believe um we believe that god still works god is sovereign god is free to work as as god chooses and god was that way in the first century too and as we as we seek as we as we share in the great commission as we share in the kind of lifestyle in the book of acts it's like in Acts 4, this, this disabled man in front of the, the temple had gotten healed and it drew a crowd. Peter preached the gospel. He's called in, he and John before this in Hedron and told, okay, you're not allowed to preach anymore in this name. And their response is, uh, we, we must obey God rather than people. We're not going to stop preaching in this name. They, they gather together, the believers and then they pray, and what they pray is that God will continue to stretch forth his hand to heal, uh, and thereby continue to give them boldness to mm. preach. Mm -hmm. and, and, they, and, and then uh, in Acts 4.31, it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again, <laughs> and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Mm. And, and, you know, we see that continuing in the book of Acts. Some people say, ah, that's just to attest apostleship. Well, Philip, uh, I mean, there wasn't Apostle Philip, but Philip the evangelist, who wasn't an apostle, in Acts 8, you've got those signs following him. You have uh, it following Ananias in Acts chapter 9. Um, in, in, even in Acts 14, I think it's verse 3, where it's talking about you know, Paul and Barnabas as apostles, uh, even though Luke usually doesn't use that title for them, but he does mm -hmm. in, in Acts 14. Mm -hmm. He says, God was bearing witness to the message of his grace. Mm -hmm. So it's his message. Mm -hmm. And in terms of gifts of healing, you know, if you believe healing still happens, well, certainly I believe healing still happens. And mm -hmm. some people, it seems to happen more when they pray than it happens with others. Mm -hmm. I don't think I actually have the gift of healing. Sometimes people do get healed when I pray, but mm -hmm. even with people who have the gift of healing and that, you know, people often healed when they pray. I don't think, I don't know anybody who claims that everybody always gets healed when they pray. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we've been talking so far with Dr. Craig Keener and the book is Gift and Giver and um, just going to kind of shift a little bit now asking just how we sort of like we're convinced, you know, we, we think we're not going to be post enlightenment in this area. We're going to try not to be. And, and we believe these gifts are for us because the, the perfect hasn't come yet. But having said that, it is so hard to be a practitioner and not be a heretic. So I'm probably going to lose half of our listeners with what I'm about to tell you. But I was teaching last week in YWAM, which is a which is a bunch of charismatics. And I and I, you know, and I know that. I, I am just like every listener is I'm commanded to pursue the gifts. And so, like you had said, and so I'm always trying to, I'm, I pursue them. Um, I don't necessarily know what that means. Maybe praying, fasting, asking, but so what I did before I shared was I just said, all right, you guys, let's just set aside some time real quick and let's pursue the gifts together. I, I don't know. Maybe it's wrong. I, I've known the model. Right. And so we just prayed and I was terrified. I'm like, this is so bad of me right now. Like something, something bad's going to happen. And I was like, okay, does anyone have a word? And then I said this, does anyone maybe have a tongue and then an interpreter? And it just seems so out of right field. I don't know what. So I'm like, our <laughs> tongues, our tongues, only another language. You know, I, I read, obviously read your book. Is, is it spiritual language also? But how, how do we start on this journey? Can you give us like, like, even speak to that scenario. How might something like that look? <laughs> You're asking me to speak to it. You want me to speak in tongues and then you can interpret it? Oh, Lord. Oh, no, I'm just joking. I'm Lord. just joking. I'm just... <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says to seek the greater gifts. I'll show you a more excellent way. It talks about the way of love because the gifts, the gifts aren't the end. They're not mm. the goal. Mm. They're for the purpose of building up the body. Mm. Uh, now, it, in chapter 14, he talks about tongues building up ourselves, but that's not bad. Some people say, oh, that's bad. You're not supposed to build up yourself. Well, mm -hmm. what do we do when we read the Bible devotionally and we're not preparing for a sermon? Yeah. Right? to build ourselves up. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so he talks about love, and but he frames this discussion of love being greater than the gifts, being, you know, the that's the goal. He frames it with 1231, seek the greater gifts, 14.1, pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And then in 14.39, he says to seek the gift of prophecy, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Mm. I mean, it's kind of explicit, um, <laughs> but, but in, in he emphasizes prophecy because it builds up the body, whereas tongues won't unless it's interpreted and so on. Now, as far as, as, far as how, do we, how do we seek it, I think it's easier the early church, oh, when Paul says, I forget, was it 1431? So somewhere, somewhere in, in 14, he says, uh, you may all prophesy one by one. Now, if you have a church of 10,000 people, you're going to be there for a long time if you all prophesy one by one. But these were house churches. These were, these were basically small groups. And I think that's a good place to start. Mm. Um, we can we can um, try to be sensitive to the spirit together, and then you know one person gives what they're feeling like the Holy Spirit is saying. If if somebody's not feeling something, that's fine. <laughs> Lord doesn't mm -hmm. he's not obligated to make us always hear something, but um, you know he's present all the time. 
and there's plenty in scripture he's always ready to speak mm. but you know we can we can try to listen together and then we can we can process that together mm-hmm. so you know we're all judging but we're not like saying okay don't you ever say anything again in the name mm. of the Lord. Um, you know, we can be tentative when we're starting out. I know the first time it happened to me, I, I, I mean, I knew what 1 Corinthians 14 said, and I had prayed for the gift. I mean, it says to seek the gift. <clears throat> and so, and of course, Acts 4, uh, Acts 4 I mentioned talks about praying for healings and signs to draw attention to the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I, uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying something and I wasn't in a setting where I knew exactly what to do with it. It, it was a setting where it would have been allowed, but it wasn't a setting where I knew it would be tested. So um, I, I just prayed to my, you know, quietly, nobody else could hear me mm-hmm. that um, if God, if that was really God, that somebody else would say the same thing. Mm. And somebody else, you know, it was framed as a prayer, mm-hmm. but immediately they started saying pretty much the same thing. And I'm not, I'm not giving that as an example. Well, mm-hmm. I'm giving that as an example, but I'm not giving that as a model. Like that's always the way it works. But, um, you know, we, we pray in faith and then we're open. And when God does speak, then we, we try to, to learn from that. But again, we recognize we're taking baby steps when we start because, you know, I mean, there may be other people who are way, way beyond us, but uh, for us, it's a baby step because we're just, we're just beginning. Mm. Um, Peter got out of the boat, walked on water. He didn't make it very far, but he's the only one who got out of the boat. Yeah. I got a question real quick um, and it's going to be tough. So. The, the question ultimately is, because Paul says, be filled with the spirit. And what have you learned? Because like even in Acts, when uh, they're distributing the food and they realize they need uh, people who are full of the spirit. I think that's Acts 7. I can't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. Acts 6. Acts but, 6. But there are seven of them there. So that's probably. What there we go. <laughs> And he's like, hey, here's the qualifications of who we need uh, to do this wisely. Uh, Get some guys that are full of spirit and they just choose seven people. And so those guys did something that day or in their life, I'm assuming that they knew, oh, yeah, Stephen, Stephen's full of the spirit. Let's choose him. Or um, basically, how do we get full of the spirit? Like, is there... I guess since I'm a Westerner, I'm looking for some kind of uh, formula, but would you just say like true desire to serve the Lord, like positioning your heart or posturing your heart in a position where uh, you you really, really, really want to act like Jesus or help me out with that? <laughs> that sounds like that. That I mean, that sounds right. Um, in I mean, in Galatians 5, it talks about walking in the spirit or by the spirit. So we're, we're depending on God's spirit to transform us. Um, he goes on to talk about uh, contrasting the works of the flesh with the fruit of the spirit. So it's the spirit at work in us. And 
then he talks about uh, language that I, I read in Galatians 5.25 is uh, stepping in the, in the steps, the footsteps of the Spirit, and um, sowing to the Spirit, which in, in chapter 6 of Galatians, which fits with the image of the fruit of the Spirit, you're, you're sowing so that you have the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the Christian life is life lived in the power of the Spirit. And just like Jesus. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully all of us are continuationists on this point. We recognize our dependence on God and, and that we should recognize our dependence on God. In, in Ephesians 5.18, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but by contrast, be filled with the Spirit. And then he, he shows what the Spirit-filled life should look like. Uh, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, um, submitting to one another in the, in the fear of God. Uh, and, and, of course, in Acts, you know, Acts, different writers in different contexts, they're going to emphasize different aspects of the Spirit's work. Acts, the emphasis, Acts 1.8, you receive power when the Spirit comes on you, you'll be witnesses. So, uh, that was true for the uh, 11 and those who were with them. And it was also true for, I mean, it, it, they function as a model because mm. this is to go to the ends of the earth. Well, I mean, the mission is still ongoing. We still need the same power mm -hmm. to fulfill that mission. And then you see uh, in, in Acts 2, 17 and 18, well, starting with 2, 4, they're filled with the Spirit. They begin speaking in other, other languages. And then in, in 17 and 18, Peter says, this fulfills what Joel said. In the last days, says God, I'll pour out my spirit in all flesh. Your sons and daughters are prophesy, you know, the dreams, the visions. And then Peter adds in a line that's not in Joel to reiterate the point that's in Joel, and they'll prophesy. <laughs> and that, that seems to imply, you know, this is the era where people are supposed to, we're wow. supposed to really hear from God. We have the, we're, we're, Filled with the Spirit, the Spirit is is available to us uh, in a, in a in a wider way already than in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. But with the with the speaking in tongues, he mentions that three times in the Book of Acts, and I think there's one reason that that Luke does that. A, a particular reason he highlights that that particular thing more than the wind and the fire, mm -hmm. and and that is, okay, you're going to be witnesses, so you're going to speak for God. So that has to do with like prophetic empowerment, like he talks about in 2.17 and 18. But to the ends of the earth, well, what greater way could God show that he was empowering the church as a whole with power to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth than he gives them, you know, this sign of being able to worship God in other people's languages. Now, that doesn't mean that I, I don't. It's not mentioned in every case where people are filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts. And actually, you have people being filled with the Spirit sometimes multiple times, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah. So not, not going into all those kinds of, of debates, but just, uh, you know, that, that was another form of, of worshiping God, like what we have in Ephesians 5.19. Um, the Spirit empowers us to live for God. The Spirit also empowers us to speak for God which can be expressed in various ways. Uh, we, we, we need God's spirit 
because we just like we recognize everything in the Christian life comes because of what Christ has done for us. Mm -hmm. Everything in the Christian life comes empowered by the spirit. Mm -hmm. So humbling ourselves, recognizing we need to depend on God. And that's true when we read scripture too. I mean, Luther and Calvin were pretty strong on that about, you know, we need the spirit to help us understand scripture. So they have the gift of teaching. They're acknowledging that the Holy Spirit gives them that gift of teaching. That's good. That's good. So just as, I mean, we could do this for three hours, but we don't want to keep you up. So as we're closing down, I'm just, I'm going to like throw these just again, I'm just trying to, how to, how to best be a practitioner without just like thinking I'm, I'm just a heretic. So maybe, so, and, and even my assumptions might be wrong, but when I think of like new Testament, you know, apostolic witness and healing and, and whatnot, it just seems so as a matter of fact, like I don't have gold or silver, but stand up. It's just, it's not like um, it's, I feel like so much of what I hear in my circles it's like the Long Island medium. It's more like, oh, I, I feel like, and I say this jokingly, but a lot of people I respect, actually, this is the thing, but it's like, I feel like there might be someone here with like a, you know, a purple shirt and there's issues with your mom. And there's always, there really is usually someone with purple shirt and issues with their mom, but I'm just like, aren't there always people with purple shirts and issues with their mom? So, <laughs> and I just, yeah. I, I just, um, I just like, and a lot of times the word that people are sharing is, is essentially um, what, what, like, I know what book they're reading. Like they were just, like literally reading a, a book, whatever on subject D 11. And it just so happens to be the word of the Lord they have for this person is on subject D 11. And even me, like today I was like, Lord, do you want to like give me something? And all that came to my mind is what I've been reading. <laughs> Well, the Lord, the Lord uses that. Uh, we're finite vessels. Keep in mind that Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, this is after they've been with, with Jesus for, uh, well, depending on how you do the chronology, probably at least a couple of years. Mm. So they've seen a lot of miracles. They have, uh, they've been sent, you know, he, he started training them while he was still with them. Um, granted, mm. they, at the bottom of the mountain, nine of them uh, couldn't cast out a, a demon. Whoa. Uh, chides them for their lack of faith and their carelessness. Wow. But, uh, but by the time you get to the book of Acts, you know, they not only have the experience of the power of the Spirit, they've also had some hands on training. Wow. So, you know, they're not starting from scratch many of us are starting from scratch. Wow. You don't want to stay at the level of scratch indefinitely, mm. but at the same time, you also don't want to run ahead of what you really have from the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So some people have talked about risk, um, stepping out in faith mm. and I'm kind of risk averse. <laughs> I, if I'm going to make a mistake, I'd rather make it in private, just me between me and the Lord. Uh, so, um, I may not make as many mistakes as some people. I also don't seem to grow as fast as some people in, in certain ways. But um, the, 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 big, the big thing is they were walking with the Lord. We want to walk with the Lord. And we also need to be sensitive. Different ones of us have different gifts. Mm. 
and we can seek the gifts. We continue mm -hmm. to seek the gifts. I, I, I pray, like I said, I don't think I have the gift of healing, but I still pray for the gift of healing. Mm -hmm. I've been praying for it for a long time mm -hmm. because there's so many people who are suffering so much. Yeah. And I want, when I pray for them, I really want them to get better. I don't want to just pray and nothing happens. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I keep praying for that. And, and then there's other gifts. I mean, like two days after my conversion, I was, um, a pastor prayed with me because he said, are you sure you're saved? I said, I don't know if I did it right. And, and so you know, I was converted from atheism. I knew nothing about the Bible. I, I just knew I'd given my life to Christ and, and he was the only savior. And, and I, I knew he died for me and rose again. That was the message that I was given. So the pastor prayed with me. It was basically acknowledging the same thing. Two days earlier, I felt just overwhelmed by God's presence, but I I didn't know how to respond. And so this time I felt the same overwhelming sense of God's presence and I wanted to praise him, but I figured it was a safe environment this time. And so I was so overwhelmed with God's presence that I knew he was so holy and so awesome that the kind of praise he deserved, I couldn't come up with it on my own. Wow. He would have to give it to me. And wow. You know, God knows lots of languages. It started coming out in another language. Now, I didn't know, I'd never heard of that before. I'd only been a Christian for two days. Whoa. I was converted from a completely unchurched background. Wow. So later on, you know, I, you know, it's in the Bible, right? But I didn't, I didn't know that yet. So, I mean, some gifts you may pray for for a long time, and some gifts it just may, may come with a package, you know. Wow. And that one, for me, it came with a package. That's very compelling. Just final question for you, like, for, again, for those of us who are, we're going to pursue the gifts. And I think the main thing I'm hearing from you, which is like total like paradigm shift. It's like, we sort of have the freedom, like the, in our minds, it's like all or nothing. Oh, false prophecy, therefore stone them to death. But what you're, what you're sort of sharing is like really understanding what was meant by that in that Old Testament passage. But it's like this notion of we have to sort of work from them, which is, now we might, you know, maybe we'll have to do part two next year or something, but because I could just wonder people saying, what? Wait a minute. No, you know, but I'm with you now. Having said that, what might you suggest for people like us? Like just who like we we don't go to your church, so we don't get it to like run with you, you know, but we could read these books. But what is just like a, a sort of a tangible way that we could sort of. Um, and we're willing to like step out a little bit, if you will. And what, what might you recommend in, in that direction as we close out here? I think, I think when you're starting, you can start with baby steps. You can, um, well, if, if you're going to make mistakes, it's better to make them small rather than big. Um, most of your hearers in the United States will be familiar with some really big ones that happened in recent, <laughs> recent months. Uh, so uh, does that have to do with the eradication of COVID-19? Oh, that was that was one. And Trump. Also, <laughs> also, some of the political prophecies about the way the election would go and so on. Yeah. Uh, they're they're, they're it for the rest of us, huh? <laughs> but it's it's important 
to keep in mind also uh, things that get popular. You know, if you want to do a view count on YouTube, and, and by, the, by the way, I, I want you guys to be popular. I want a lot of people to listen to you. But, <laughs> but the things that are going to get the, the greatest popularity are the things that tell people what they want to hear. Mm. And in Jeremiah's day, of course, most of the people were telling people what they wanted to hear too. The prophets were saying, peace, peace, Whoa. when there was no peace. And so, you know, people often preach to their choirs, whether it's teaching or prophesying or whatever, we can sometimes pervert the word of the Lord to tell people what they want to hear or what will increase our view count or whatever. I mean, we have to be sensitive. We have to contextualize. We have to be pastorally sensitive as shepherds and so on. But we need to, uh, we need to be faithful to God's word most of all and to, to what God wants. So when I talk about big time prophetic errors, those weren't the kind of prophecies I was witnessing in, you know, the local church circles that I knew where people were just trying to be sensitive to the spirit and they were praying for others. And, you know, I feel like the Lord is saying this and uh, I feel like the Lord has this scripture that uh, for, for you that will really speak to where you're at. Um, and again, all that needs to be tested. And so we need to be humble about it, but hopefully we can grow in it. And uh, the more we get it right, the, you know, our, our baby steps can grow in, in whatever gifts we find the Lord is, is beginning to use us more in. Thank you so much. Yeah, we've been talking with Dr. Craig Keener and the book, which really reads so, so smooth and easy is called Gift and Giver the Holy Spirit for today. And that's Baker Academic. And like I said, we'll be giving two of those away. Um, any other, any other, I mean, you've constantly like, I think every um, 40, 48 hours, you're putting out a new book. So you got anything coming out? Um, I'm working on a, well, I have a first Peter commentary coming out and a shorter book on miracles because for some reason, people don't want to read the 1100 page version. Everybody was quoting it people people who were against miracles people who were for miracles they were both saying oh this is the book that you know but but i could tell by what a lot of them said they hadn't actually read it so so this is gonna be, <laughs> this is gonna be a shorter one that's uh, awesome more, more updated uh, right now i'm working on a commentary on mark but it's going to be more like the the big acts commentary so Whoa. i have a shorter acts commentary with cambridge that's uh, just like 700 pages but the the big the big four volume acts commentary i'm working on on one on mark right now it's gonna take me a few years to finish um but one book if your readers are uh, your readers sorry if your hearers are uh, more to lay level or even you know if they're not really into heavy duty scholarship there's a book that i wrote a long time ago uh the second second edition came out in 2014 called the IVP Bible Background Commentary. And it, it just gives on a, on a more popular level um, cultural background for each passage in the New Testament. Uh, also, uh, that was University Press. Zondervan did the Cultural Backgrounds Study Bible. That one's more recent. John Walton edited the Old Testament part. I did the New Testament part. Mm. Uh, 
uh, a lot of a lot of the notes in the New Testament part are just you know are condensed and updated forms of the background commentary. So those those can be uh, handy and useful. And again, gift and givers on a more popular level, and a book called Impossible Love is really on a popular level. Um, that one is just the story of my wife and me. She was a war war refugee in in Congo, where she's from. So, wow. Um, but those are, yeah. Yeah, we will we'll link those in the show notes. Man, even Impossible Love would be so cool. I, I've heard a little bit of that story. But Dr. Keener is such a such like a kind spirit, and we know you're busy. So thanks for taking the time with us. Thank, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a privilege to be with you. And great, great fellowship. As, as much as we can really fellowship right now until we all have our COVID shots. We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad. We came to cheer the sad. We came to lead.